Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. Today is the first message in a series we'll be in for quite a while called Making a Messiah. We're looking at Jesus and the claims that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Is it true? Today's message is about the stories of his healings. Jesus healed people from their diseases and even made people who were blind see and those who couldn't walk stand up and dance. So let's take a look at the unmatched power of Jesus. Here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Jesus were to, instead of coming into our world 2,000 years ago, what if he actually came into our world at a time like this, if he came into our world today? Do you think he would hang out, want to hang out in a place like this, or would you want him to hang out in a place like this? Suppose you're laying in one of these beds and you've got tubes and needles attached to you. Would, would you want him to come into your room? Uh, fact is, what if Jesus came into your room and instead of saying, rise, take up your bed and and walk out of here, which would probably thoroughly annoy the hospital administrators, what if Jesus actually looked at you and said, bless you, I forgive your sins, I forgive your sins against God. Would you be annoyed? Would you be disappointed? Tell you the truth, I'm not sure Jesus would have made a great hospital chaplain. You see, Jesus, when he came here, didn't just kind of wander from hospital to hospital. I guess they didn't have them back then, but there were places where you could find those who were sick. But he didn't go seeking out the sick. They actually came seeking him out. And, and the truth is, whenever he healed somebody, it wasn't a permanent thing. He didn't make him impervious to disease. You know, the fact is, everybody that Jesus healed, they got sick again. Even those he rose from the dead, they eventually died again. And I suppose it's because Jesus didn't come primarily to be a healer. He had this incredible power and he had this amazing compassion, so he healed people. But we need way more than a healing of our physical bodies. He came to give us way more than that. Good morning. You like my shirt? It's <laughs> not a good way to get started, is it? I have a report, just got a report that our security team has put Jordan Hall in witness protection. <laughs> I also want to mention that uh, on your seat somewhere there was one of these cards that talks about the groups that you can get engaged in on Wednesday night starting, most of them are going to be starting this week. Really, really big guys. Uh, Jordan was right, you know. This is part of doing church. This is a huge part of doing church. God's people gather together to give honor and praise to God. But we also just do life with each other. And we dig into these things deeper than we can on a, on a Sunday morning in, in a smaller group. And you're going to have a chance to do that with these groups. So take a look at these. And I just encourage you to get engaged. There's always some good food at, uh, at 530. And our classes start at 630. So we're going to spend the next 16 weeks from now till Easter reintroducing you to Jesus, which I think every Jesus follower needs from time to time. You see, I think we need to forget what we think we know about Jesus and try to look at him again with fresh eyes. Sometimes that's hard for us. And those of you guys who are not Jesus followers yet, you too. 
You need to try to forget everything you think you know about Jesus because what you think you know about him may be blocking you from the real thing. Real Jesus is going to blow your mind. He's either going to make you mad or he's going to make you sell out to him. Maybe both. He certainly will not bore you and he will not let you marginalize him. He'll, either fo- he'll force you to make a call. You've only got three good options, guys. He's either a maniacal liar or he's the craziest man ever or he is the son of God, the Lord of your life, your savior. So we're going to try to do something that's exceedingly difficult. We're going to try to look at Jesus, listen to Jesus as if we're making a first call, as if we're seeing him for the very first time. We're going to try to let Jesus surprise us and even to blow our minds. We're going to let his story be incredibly weird. You know why? Because it was incredibly weird. We get so familiar with the story that it no longer feels weird to us. We're going to look at it first through Mark, the gospel of Mark. Mark is writing to people who have never, ever heard of Jesus before. This is their first exposure to Jesus, and he's going to blow their minds. What would you think of this guy, Jesus, if the first you'd ever heard of him was as you began to read the gospel of Mark? That's what we're going to see. We're actually going to focus on a story this morning in chapter 2, but I'm going to kind of give you a running start by running through chapter 1, because go figure, chapter 1 sets up chapter 2, right? You kind of need it. Mark opens up like this. He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news about Jesus who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God. If Mark is right, this is a pretty big story, isn't it? This is huge. This is about your Messiah, your Savior. He claims to be the Son of God. And then Mark starts laying out his evidence. He starts out by telling us about a guy named John, a guy named John the Baptist, because John is one of the evidences that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, the prophets had foretold the coming of the Messiah. And they told us that God would send a man to go before him to kind of plow the ground for the Messiah. And Mark says, that was John. So John the Baptist is out there preaching. The people are just flocking to him. He's preaching that the Messiah is just around the corner, just like the prophets had predicted. People are getting excited. They're getting scared. He's coming. Messiah is coming. And the next thing you know in the story, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And guys, if it happened the way Mark says it happened, this is huge. If it really happened this way, because Mark says God shows up at the baptism. Mark says that the heavens opened up in some way. God's spirit descended like a dove in some way, landed on top of Jesus. And then you hear this voice that had to come out of heaven because they didn't have loudspeakers back then. You hear this voice that says, this is my son. This is my son. You need to listen to this guy. God is vouching for Jesus. Now, if you were there and that actually happened, would that get your attention a little? And then dad does something pretty weird. It says God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, actually compelled Jesus, drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. God drove his son, God shoves his son into Satan's lair. 
to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. This is a weird story. But part of Jesus' mission is to break Satan's power over us. And this is just the first skirmish. This is all set up. Now Jesus is about to get to work. Next thing Mark tells us is that Jesus is out there preaching good news. Preaching good news about the kingdom of God. There's something we need to know about the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is coming. In fact, it's right around the corner. It's dawning right now. So you need to turn from whatever you're living for, he says, and start doing life with God, for God, God's way. And he came to clean up the mess that was separating us from God. Now, Mark doesn't elaborate on that. He just kind of lays it there, and he keeps going. In fact, Mark's story is so fast-paced, it almost overwhelms you. The next thing you see Jesus doing is collecting some disciples. Eventually, he's going to end up with 12. He starts with these two pairs of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And then Jesus and his little team make their way to a town on the edge of the Sea of Galilee named Capernaum which Jesus is going to make kind of his home base. It's about 40 miles east of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And steens start popping. Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Capernaum. And there's a dude there who's listening to Jesus who just goes crazy. He's in church like this, and this guy just goes crazy. Mark says he was possessed by an evil spirit. And if you wonder whether that happens, sometimes we wonder if it happens to some of you, right, in church. Possessed. I'm just not... I'm kidding. Some of you guys do wonder that about me sometimes. I hope that's not the case. And I know this part of the story bugs a lot of people today. I mean, first Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Then he's confronted by an evil spirit in a synagogue. And what kind of story is this? And how pre-scientific and gullible do you have to be to buy this kind of stuff, right? And yet, come on. Most people in our world do kind of wonder whether there's a spiritual world out there, right? I mean, it's all over our TV and our movies and stories. There's so much evil and chaos in our world that it wouldn't surprise us if there are bad guys out there we can't see. And if you actually believe in a God, if you actually believe in a God, it's not a stretch to believe that there are other spiritual forces out there we can't see. And if there are other spiritual forces out there that we can't see, it's not a stretch to think that if they are bad guys, then they're going to challenge the Son of God when he enters their stronghold to set their prisoners free, which Jesus does. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. Anyway, in the story in Mark chapter 1, Jesus kicks this demon's butt, and then he goes with his guys to the house of Simon and Andrew, who lives right there in Capernaum, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, which is the first healing miracle that Mark records, the first of 19. I mean, she's with a fever in bed, and I mean, Jesus handles demons, and Jesus handles mothers-in-law, so he's pretty strong. I don't know which is tougher. Now I'm going to go into witness protection too, huh? <laughs> that evening, Mark says, people just kept bringing anybody who was sick and anybody who was demon-possessed to Jesus. And Jesus is trying to tell them this marvelous story about the kingdom of God. And they're all excited about his power to heal. About his power to cast out demons. Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is here. And they're like, yeah, but my kid's sick. That interests me more right now. 
So they keep dragging their kids, their sick, to Jesus. And Mark says Jesus did heal. He healed many, many people who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. Which is kind of a weird way to put it, isn't it? Now, you wonder why it doesn't say all of them. And it may mean that he healed all of them. That just may be a semitism. But it still leaves you scratching your head a little. It's a weird story. So anyway, Mark is off to this really fast start. Jesus is trying to preach. He's healing all kinds of people. Those with demons are being exercised. People are stoked. But it looks like the people were way more smitten by the miracles that Jesus was doing than by the message that he was preaching about the kingdom of God. And we get that. I mean, it's hard to listen to a message when you're hurting, right? But Jesus has more important things to do than heal sick people. It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? So Jesus slips out to be alone with his dad. You know, he's the son of God, Mark says. And disciples hunt him down and they kind of scold him. You got to get back to town. We've got momentum. People are stoked. They're all looking for you. There are people to heal. There are demons whose tails need kicking. And Jesus is like, no. Let's not. Let's go somewhere else where I can preach. Where I can preach. Because that's why I've come. To preach some amazing news. See, they're looking for a Messiah who'd heal their bodies. And Jesus could. But Jesus had things to do that were way more important. So he just takes off. He just leaves the crowd standing there. He goes and preaches in other synagogues. And of course, they kept dragging their sick to him and demons. And because Jesus had the heart of God, he kept healing them. One more story before we get to the big one for today. There's this leper, and this leper finds Jesus. Lepers were considered some of the most pitiful of the pitiful in that day. This leper kneels at Jesus' feet, and he begs for healing. If you were him, wouldn't you? He says, if you're willing, Jesus, if you want, if you choose, you can heal me. The Bibles actually differ on what happens next. This is really pretty amazing. See, Jesus had this compassionate heart. He had the heart of God. And so some Bibles said, moved with compassion, Jesus healed him. Makes sense. Other Bibles say, moved with indignation. Jesus healed him. This leper asked for healing. Moved with indignation, Jesus heals him. That's weird, isn't it? Indignant at what? And the Bibles are split. I mean, some of the early manuscripts have the word compassion here, and others have the word indignant. And compassion we get. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, I know I didn't come to heal your bodies, but I, but I can and I care, so be healed. Maybe indignation means something like this. You guys don't get it. You just don't get it. I didn't come to heal your bodies. I came to heal your souls. You guys are obsessed with the little things that I can do when there's so much more that I can offer you. But I do care. And I can. So be healed. Tell you the truth, I don't know which one it is. 
So chapter 1 closes with so many people flocking to Jesus that he actually had to stay out in the country for a while because wherever he'd go, they'd track him down. Pretty weird story. But what if? What if it actually happened this way? What if you were there and this is exactly, exactly what went down? Would this pique your interest? And now we're here. Mark chapter 2. And guys, this is a huge story. It really is. Important story about Jesus, who's a miracle-working Messiah. Mark says that Jesus returned to Capernaum after a few days. That was going to be his home base. And by this time, the news that he is there and what he has done has gotten around. So this time, the people are stoked on steroids, right? They are so excited that Jesus is here. So he's probably in a house, likely, could be a synagogue. It's flat-out packed, standing room only except for the religious teachers like me who are sitting there observing, kind of in the best chairs in the house. And Jesus is doing what he came to do. He's preaching. He's teaching the people when this happens. <laughs> and I hate it when this happens to me. I'm preaching or teaching. It's standing room only. There's places absolutely packed. There are people outside the door just trying to get in, right? Those outside are so eager that they actually start tearing at the walls and the ceiling to get in. That's humor, by the way. And back then, their roofs were a little different. They'd actually make a lattice work of branches, and they'd pack it with mud and clay. So there are these four guys up on the roof, and they're just kind of tearing at the mud and the clay and the branches to make a hole. Some of that mud and clay and some of that wood's falling on the heads of the people that are down in the room. You think that would disrupt the sermon just a little bit? Then they start lowering this paralyzed guy into the room until he's laying there in front of Jesus. Because all these words about the kingdom of God are cool and all that. You know what Jesus was trying to say about how to do life with God, for God, God's way. But they had a friend that needed healing. You understand that. I mean, perfectly honest, guys. If Jesus popped into this room today, if Jesus was standing right here today, would you want him to heal your broken bodies or your broken souls? Which would you choose? Well, when Jesus saw their faith, this is weird. Because <clears throat> we don't know whether Mark is talking about the faith of the sick guy or the faith of the four, maybe all of them together. And you kind of wonder, does it mean if they didn't have faith, Jesus wouldn't have done it? I don't know. So Jesus saw their faith and he says to this guy, and this is really, really weird. He sees this paralytic laying there on the floor and he sees their faith and he says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Maybe Jesus is confused, right? That's cool, Jesus. I appreciate, I appreciate that, but I want my legs back. So Jesus is kind of like, my bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you wanted me to fix your soul. Or maybe Jesus does get it. Maybe Jesus was trying to get us to understand that we have issues that are way bigger than sickness, physical pain, physical disability. Maybe Jesus is trying to get us to understand that our biggest issue is never our suffering. It's our sin. Maybe Jesus is trying to get us to understand that the big problem in our life is never what has happened to us what someone has done to us. But instead, it's how we respond 
to what happens to us and especially how we respond to God. I've had family and friends who were dying and there were Jesus followers. Perfectly honest, guys. Confession. I'll pray for their healing, but I'll pray even harder for their faith, for their faithfulness, that they will endure whatever happens as a Jesus follower. Is that okay? If they're not Jesus followers, I will pray for their healing, but I'll pray much harder for their souls. That when they, before they meet God, that they'll get right with him. Is that all right? Randy's my preaching partner. He has a son who's out of work because of a career-ending injury. He prays for God to heal his son. He prays way harder for his son's soul. I get that. I've prayed those prayers. Guys, God does heal people sometimes. Jesus healed people a lot. But on earth, those healings are always temporary, weren't they? I mean, Jesus doesn't make those that he healed impervious to sickness from that point forward. They'd get sick again. Everybody that Jesus healed died at some point. Even those that he brought back to life eventually died of someone else, something else. Healing is a temporary fix of a temporary problem. Forgiveness is eternal. Forgiveness transcends death. You see, what Jesus is offering this paralytic is way more than some amazing recovery from a terrible disability. Buy that? I think way too often in our prayers we ask for too little. It used to annoy me so many times when we had prayer meetings in which people just shared their prayer requests. Randy has shingles. Please pray for him. He really does. Sam needs a stress test. Please pray for him. Scott has cancer. Please pray for him. Pam's blood pressure is all over the map. Please pray for him. Walt's leg is taking way too long to heal. Please, please pray for him. Our prayer requests are almost always about sick people or other issues equally little. Jesus can heal. Jesus does care. But when are we going to be concerned about the fact that Bill is going to hell if something doesn't change? See, our prayers reveal the way we think. Sometimes when we pray, it's kind of like, if I could just have this, I'd be sad. If I just had this. This paralytic is probably thinking, if I could only walk again, I'd finally be happy. If I could only walk again, I wouldn't complain about things anymore. I'd finally... Things would finally be as they should be. And Jesus says, you don't get it. If I heal you, the euphoria won't last. Because the roots of your discontent go way deeper than your paralyzed legs. One guy says, I think when God wants to play a really practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. And we get that. We do get that. We understand that. We parents know that sometimes what our kids want and what our kids need are two different things, right? We understand that sometimes the job of a good parent is to give our kid what they need, not what they want. And if they get what they need, they're going to be way better off in the long run. God's like that too. 
See, sometimes what we want most is the wrong thing. Sometimes we look for our Savior in the wrong places. We pick the wrong things to make us happy, to fulfill us, to build our life around. If I could only get up and walk, life would, only, would finally be good. If I could only get that job, that car, that, car, that house... Life would be good. If I, if I could only get her to love me, life would be good. If I could only get into that school, if I could be accepted by that group, if I could make that team, I'd be happy, I'd be fulfilled, the life would be good. We want some person or something to become our savior. We wouldn't use that term because to do that would be to admit our idolatry. Putting something in God's place. We're thinking without that person, that thing, that dream, I can't be happy. Without that person or that thing, my life is going to be empty. That person is what's going to save me from mediocrity and disappointment and disillusionment. That's what I need to make life worth living. And it won't. Can't. It's weird how often you can spot a person's idols and what he wants from God. It's not God we want sometimes. It's what God can do for us. We're not looking for a way to do life with God, for God, God's way. We're looking for God to do life with me, for me, my way. And Jesus whispers because he rarely raises his voice yet. He whispers, when you make anything but me your savior, it will not satisfy you. You've tried doesn't work. So this guy's friends lower this paralytic to the roof in front of Jesus and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the religious guys who are sitting there, you know, guys like me, were like, you can't do that. Jesus, you can't do that. No man can do that. That's actually blasphemy. You know why? And you see, back then, they didn't wash your mouth out with soap for blasphemy. What they did is they'd pick up really, really big rocks and they'd kill you till you were dead. And in one way, they were absolutely right. No one can forgive sins but God. Right? You know why? It's kind of like this. This is what happened last week. Steve Smith, who's our worship pastor, John Sutphin, who's our executive pastor, and I, we were in a staff meeting last week and it got heated. Steve lost it, and he actually punched John in the nose. I'm a man of peace. So I step between them, and I say to Steve, I forgive you. I forgive you. And John looks at me, and John can be very rude. John says, who are you to forgive the jerk? I'm the one he hit. We get that. I can forgive what something, something that somebody does to me, but I can't forgive what someone does to you. You have to do the forgiving. So who can forgive sin except God alone? Isn't Jesus kind of like saying when you sin against God, you're sinning against me? Isn't Jesus kind of claiming to be God? Isn't that blasphemy? They were thinking very correctly. See, most people never really listen to the real Jesus, so they just kind of blow him off stupidly. He is either a maniacal liar, or he's a raving lunatic, or he is your savior and your Lord. He gives you no other options. 
So Jesus just fires back at them and he fires back at them the weirdest question. Kind of a trick question. He says, is it easier for me to say to the paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven, or would it be easier for me to say, stand up, take up your mat and walk out of here? Which is easier? Which is? One way, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. You know why? Because who can check you? It's easy to say. Just hard to do. Unless you're God. Which is not the case with healing. If you say, stand up, pick up your bed and walk, it's going to take about two seconds to check you out. Right? But what does it really prove? So Jesus looks at these religious guys and he says, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to show you that the son of man, me, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turns to this paralytic and he says, go ahead, stand up, pick up your bed, go home. And he does, he really does. And it is a powerful, powerful evidence that you have to take Jesus seriously. I know it doesn't prove that he's the son of God. Because if there are these other spiritual forces in the universe, they can probably pull off a few miracles too. In fact, later on, Jesus is going to be accused by these religious guys of performing miracles by the power of Satan, right? Still, if Jesus really was the Messiah, he had to have that kind of power too. And these miracles point that direction quite powerfully. They're not proofs, but they're powerful evidences. What they do is they force you to make a call. What are you going to do with this guy who made the kind of claims that Jesus made and had this amazing power? His abilities make him dangerous. He will not be mar marginalized. You're going to have to make a call. Is he that maniacal liar? Is he a raving lunatic? Or is he the Messiah? Your Lord, Son of God. So this paralyzed guy, he jumps up, he rolls up his mat, and he walks out the door. I'm kind of guessing the people kind of parted like the sea before Moses, right? They're stunned. This is Jesus' drop the mic moment. They're amazed. They're praising God. They're saying things like, we have never, ever, ever seen anything like this before. No kidding. No one has. All of them were excited, except for the religious leaders, guys like me who are sitting over there in the corner wondering, is this the power of God? Or is this the power of the other side? He did kind of blaspheme, didn't he? Maybe this Jesus is incredibly dangerous and is going to have to be dealt with. <laughs> it's quite an opening to a story, isn't it? Fast-paced, chock full of weird. A Jesus who came to show us how to do life with God, for God, God's way. Preaching the kingdom of God to people who were sometimes way more interested in his ability to do these amazing miracles. They wanted a Messiah who would fix their bodies and heal their diseases, not necessarily their souls. Now some people are bothered by all this miracle stuff. In Mark's story of Jesus, Jesus keeps healing all of these people. Like he's casting out all these demons, which some people doubt even exist. Later on, Jesus is going to tell the storms to shut up. We're going to look at that next week. And they actually do. He even raises the dead, Mark says. Did Jesus really do all that stuff? Guys, that's not the big question that needs to be answered. It is not. It's the wrong question. 
if Jesus claimed to be God, if he's right that he really is the son of God, if he is God, the question as to whether he could pull off a few miracles has already been answered. If there really is a God, unless your God is really, really little, God can do with nature anything he wants. I mean, if Jesus really is the Son of God, the one who spoke the world into existence, then chasing a fever out of Peter's mother-in-law or healing a leper or telling a paralytic to get up and roll up his bed and walk is child's play for God. Jesus claimed to be God. That's the big question. That's the one that needs to be settled. That's the one that God is going to speak to with an empty tomb. So can Jesus heal? For us Jesus followers, it's a no-brainer. Easy question. Does he always heal? No. You know why? Because then they'd be called normals instead of miracles, right? Besides, that's not why he came. It wasn't on the top of his agenda. He didn't come to be a miracle worker first. He came to be a savior. He came to deal with our sins by taking them to a cross. Because we have way bigger issues the things, than the things we tend to obsess over and beg for. I've seen people get so disappointed with God sometimes because he doesn't give them what they want. Because way too often we want too little. Way too often what we want is not what we need. And what we need is what will satisfy us and fill us and thrill us. Guys, if God could grant one wish to me today, it would be that you would be able to tell the difference between what you want and what you need. And that you would begin to obsess over what you need way more than what you want. For those of you who have never made a decision for Christ, my prayer would be that you discover that that's your greatest need. For those of you who have come to believe that he is the Messiah, but you haven't sold out your life to him, my prayer would be that that would be your discovery, that that's your greatest need. If you have already surrendered to Christ as your Lord, my prayer would be that you would recognize that discovering his will for your life and pursuing that is your greatest need. That's what will bring you your fullness. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, I know that a lot of times we obsess over the wrong stuff. We just don't get it. <laughs> you have this incredible power, and so we want to use that power for ourselves to channel it toward things that we want. But you've also got this amazing wisdom. Give us the wisdom to be humble, to pursue your will for our life. Father, if there are those in this room that have never made Jesus the Lord of their life, I pray that you'll give them the wisdom to do that. If there are those who have made Jesus the Lord of their, of their life, but they're not pursuing how to do life with you your way, I pray that you'll give us the wisdom to do that. We want to be your people. For Jesus, we give you thanks. We pray that we see him clearly and that we bend our knees to him. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.